Skate Creative Podcast. My name's Joel Curtis and I'm a musician and skateboarder. On this podcast, I'll be talking to creative people on how skateboarding has influenced their work and creativity. This episode's guest is Richard French Sayer. French is a graphic artist and illustrator and has worked for some of the most famous skateboard companies in the world. He's produced graphics for Santa Cruz, Real, Independent Trucks, Zero and Heron Skateboards to name but a few. As well as exhibiting his artwork worldwide, he has also founded companies Witchcraft Hardware and Dungeon Clothing. Currently residing in Nuremberg, Germany, I caught up with French to talk all things from doing board graphics for Eric Dresden, German beer, almost career-ending injuries, and just how good Chris Fanner is at skateboarding. Hi, French. How's things in Germany? Yeah, good. Good. It's just, it got really cold here again. It snowed, it snowed on Monday morning and then turned into rain, and then it's been this weird, like, if you look out the window, it's super sunny, and then when you go outside, it's fucking freezing. Right. Which is really odd. I don't. I don't know why it's doing that. Is it harsher, harsher climate there than here? Yeah, way harsher. Yeah, we had like minus eighteen in the winter. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we had like a week of minus eighteen a week, and that was. That's the first time I think I've ever been somewhere and just been. Like, I don't think I can cope. I've always thought I was all right with the winter, but I was really. Like, I don't know if I can cope with this. Right. Like I just was really. Like, I don't. I don't know what to do with this. I just don't know. I mean, I guess it being lockdown, it didn't make any different. But at the same time, you were like, you can't go out at all. It's just like fucking horrible. Yeah, right. That week was the the only week that I didn't skate in the winter. That was the only week that I didn't actually... I actually made a decision not to give a fuck and not go. Even when there was like a day where it was like... And then got up to minus two and people were going to go and skate the car park. And I was like, nah, I'm standing. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that I worked out is that my bushings freeze at three degrees. Fucking hell. So your trucks stop turning. They just don't turn, and it's a nightmare. So, but at six degrees, they're pretty. They're pretty normal, right? So, like today, when I first I went for a skate at like lunchtime, and I think it must have been about five degrees, and it must have got up to like six or seven because all of a sudden my trucks just suddenly went whoop and went back to normal again. I was like, oh okay, so that's warmed up then. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fucked when you, it's really weird, isn't it? If you can't turn, and it's like you're riding someone else's board. It's like the worst thing. Yeah, totally. So I suppose I could start by talking about what you've been working on at the moment. Have you been... I, I saw that little uh, documentary with Chris Banner a bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it showed yeah. your little gallery and stuff like that. So you, what, what's happening with that? Well, the gallery at the moment is closed because of lockdown, which is a bit of a pain in the ass. But that was that was doing really well until December. That was pretty good. It's It's literally the front part of my studio. Right. So I, I was looking for a studio for ages because I was working at home and I just wanted to get out of the house. And then I started looking at these government-funded spaces and it's all like, yeah, you can get this really good space, but you have to share like this tiny space with someone else and then there's no internet and then you can't really leave your stuff out and all the rest of it. And then I was like, oh, if you get one on your own, it's like you have to join. It's really weird in Germany. It's like, well, maybe it's Bavaria, but you have to join like like a union and then you have to be part of this special union and you have to do this and you have to pay into it and then you have to have this insurance and all this other crazy stuff so i just started looking they have this ebay which is like it's called ebay Kleiner cycle which is like gum tree pretty much and someone was like you can get houses and stuff on there in studios so i just started looking at old shop i started well i started looking for places to have studios like old offices and stuff and then i started finding shops and i was like what there's like whole shops for 300 euros a month Wow. And I was like, well, I, I could open a little gallery in the front. 
Yeah. And I sort of was just like, yeah, you know, I could just open this little gallery thing. And then I carried on looking. And I found another one, which is actually close to the one that I've got. And I really wanted to get that one. And then that one was three, four, nine, I think, a month. And then bills on top. And then I found this one. That one went. And then I found this one. And it's like, it was already refurbished and everything else. It's tiny. It used to be a cigar shop. Wow. And when I emailed the landlord he was super cool and he was really into the idea that I was just like oh it's two rooms it's like a bigger room at the front a smaller room at the back has another door that goes into the corridor and then I have a separate toilet which is like on the other side of the corridor so that corridor goes up to the houses above and then I just got this small shop front window but it's like 460 including all bills and heating wow that's amazing and it's got brand new double glaze I've only got two windows so one on the front and one on the back but it's double, it's this super, like, I think the front is triple glazed and the back's double. So it's super warm. So I just, I just opened that. It's just, Stuart, like, obviously I signed the lease about three weeks before we went into lockdown in March last year. But then I did, like, a show, I did a show every month from May, June, July, yeah, May, May to December. And every single one did really well. So it was all different people. And it was good because I just have like the the small gallery space at the front with this big window. Like it's it's literally the size of like someone's bedroom, like a small bedroom. Yeah. And then the back room is just a little bit smaller, but it's my studio and it has like a little kitchen space in it, so I can wash out paint pots and stuff. And yeah, and it, it's like just perfect. It's not really like an official. It's not like an official gallery or anything. It's just I've got a gallery and I call it a gallery and I've got an Instagram and a website. I don't. I mean, I guess that's official. I mean, but yeah. So I just ask different people to do shows. So I did that, and yeah, like Chris, like Chris said in that little documentary, like people got really into coming. Yeah. I guess because as well, <clears throat> Nuremberg's a, it's a weird city to live in because it's like it's a pretty big, it's like a big town, small city. There's a shitload of skaters here. There's two art colleges. There's like a really big music school and everything else, but. Germans don't, I mean, Bavarians don't seem to do stuff unless it's organised for them or paid for by the government. Right, okay. It, it just They just seem really confused by the idea that you would do it and then be like, oh, so the government gave you money, right? And you're like, no. Right. No, I didn't. I'm just doing it off my own back. And they're like, no. I just started off with like just asking different artists to come and do shows and just doing them a month at a time. And then for every show, I would make like a zine and some T-shirts and then that kind of covered the cost of it. Right, that's amazing. And then like Vans helped me out with some of the money for the rent, so yeah. that that helped me out to not stress about it. But I mean, that's really helped me because like having to shut it from December until now. But then I started making like those wooden things that I've been making. Those paintings. yeah, I was going to ask you about those. I've seen those on your Instagram. They look they look amazing. Well, that was because I did this thing for Volcom, and then they wanted to do like a launch of the products I did for them, but they wanted to do this exhibition. I need to do a window display. And I didn't know how else to do the window display other than to paint it on wood and cut it out. And I did that, and then they were like, can you make some for inside the, the like pop-up space? So I made those, and we displayed them like a gallery. And then when they came back to me, I just put them on my Instagram and was like, these are for sale, I put them on my website, and I sold everything in the day. Wow. That's and that's amazing. never happened to me. I've never sold work like that. And then now it seems to be like if I make one of those wooden things... It never lasts longer than a day on my website. I've been tempted by one of the dagger ones, to be quite honest. I've been like... Yeah, like the daggers. Yeah, like I've made like... (laughs) Yeah, I think I've made like four daggers in four different colours and they work really well. I think as well the thing is, it was like... Because don't you think it's weird, right? If I did a drawing that took as much time as that or maybe longer, 
But people don't want to buy it on paper for like 150 quid. They're like, oh, I'm not really sure. It's on a bit of paper. You do it on a piece of wood with some paint. And all of a sudden people think, yeah, it's, it's really worth it. I don't know if it's because you can hold it or... Because I, I suppose I've seen the ones that you've had on Instagram, Mother Dagobah, for instance. It's like the, the contrast on them is really good and they look, they look really kind of graphic but kind of... Um, yeah, they're super bold. Kind of like big stickers. Yeah, almost like they're almost like a cross between a board and a sticker. But the way I made them is I cut the old bits of wood that are left over from cutting them out. And then I get some no more nails and stick that together. And then I make it so that it's like a centimetre or two centimetres off the walls. There's a there's like a block at the top and a block at the bottom. So it hangs exactly the same distance from the wall when you hang it on a nail. Okay. So it creates like a shadow on the wall. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Which which seems to make it work really well. It makes it like look like it's sort of floating. But... Yeah, I, I mean, the other thing, that I, the other reason as well with the pricing, because I was like, how do I price this? I was like, I don't want to make something that people can't afford to buy. And then I was like, well, how much is a board? I'll just double it. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough, yeah. That's I was amazing. like, it's kind of like buying a skateboard. And then like the really big ones, I was just like, oh, it's like 200. Or if someone, some people have messaged me and been like, would you make this one? And I'm like, well, if it's a brand new drawing that I haven't done before, you, I kind of need to charge you for my time to come up with the drawing and then make it into a painting. But... Yeah, like, what's crazy as well is there were some, I've sold like a couple to people in the States and it's ended up costing them more money for the postage than the piece. Right, wow, okay. Because of corona at the moment, there's not enough flights taking parcels. So you have to send everything from here like DHL premium. Oh, shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so you like sell something for like, I don't know, like, like 100 euros and the postage is like 60 so with your with the 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 gallery space and your your studio down there, do you have like a a routine? Do you have a thing where you go every day, or do you just what, what's your process with it? Yeah, I mean Monday to Friday. I mean especially now that Chrissy's working from home because I had I had like we have like a spare room at home that I was using as a studio, so I could work here if I wanted to. But the good thing about the gallery, the studio there, is that I can make a real mess. Like in the back room, it doesn't matter if I get paint all over the wall or whatever. Or, and also because it's kind of it's good to get away. But yeah, as soon as like Chrissy had to work from home, because she's on calls all day, right? So she needs like the the room here with the door shut so she could be on the calls. And then, you know, it's not as easy to work at desk. And also my drawing desk and everything's set up there. Yeah. So usually, like usually, I'm usually there by like nine thirty ten in the morning, and then I I come home at lunchtime. Or I go for a skate and then come home at lunchtime and then go back again. And like tonight, I was there until like eight, and then headed back here, just because I was I had to take like another call for work. But yeah, like it's it's usually Monday to Friday, and then when the gallery was open, I was taking like one day in the week where I'd try and go do something else. Like last summer, I was trying to do something else one day a week, and then I'd work Saturdays because you can't open anything in Bavaria on a Sunday. Like nothing's allowed really. To is open. that still like? Like it used to be in the it's, 80s. You know what? Friends, it's I actually suppose. for going street skating, it's like yeah. early 90s in England where you can go into a town centre and everything shuts you like, yeah. And it is like people are like, yeah, you can skate there on a Sunday, which seems like <laughs> such an old fashioned thing, doesn't it? Like, oh, you, well, you know you get to skate on a Sunday. I, yeah, well, that was what, what it was like. I mean, I, I'm sure it's, you're, we're roughly the same age, aren't we? I think, but yeah. That was exactly what it was like. It was just, it was dead. Everywhere was dead on Sundays. Yeah. It was nothing. No, like we've got this one spot here, like my friend Yossa, like we waxed up the curb at the Audi and it's like, it's kind of like a, almost like a bank to curb. But the only time you can skate is on Sunday because the Audi is open till eight every night and then there's no lights. 
And then on weekends, it's only there's only shot on Sunday, so we can skate on a Sunday. Right. That's sick, though. I kind of like that. It's actually kind of cool because you do know, like, yeah, I can skate on a Sunday. And, like, loads of those places as well that would have security in the week, they just don't have it on Sundays because they don't want to pay them because they have to pay them double time. Right. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually like, oh, there's that sport. Like, people will say, like, like when I, so before I come back tonight, my friend Stefan, like, there's a bunch of guys here. They usually do, like, these big Euro trips. There's a bunch of sponsor guys that go to different spots. Yeah. For I think it's for Pocket Magazine. And they're, like, doing Nuremberg and then going to Munich on Friday till Monday. And, like, they were like, oh, fuck, that spot's really good. And they're like, yeah, but you can only skate on a Sunday. And it's just like, fuck. <laughs> like, getting bummed out, like, a handrail or something. Like, you can't go there. It's, it's only, you can only skate in the week. I mean, you can only skate on a weekend. So, yeah, it is funny like that. But, yeah, so the gallery, I just, I only open it. I was, before it ended up, the best way to do it was I used to do, like, Thursday, Wednesday afternoon, and then I would do like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Wasn't so worried about Thursday, like not many people really came on Thursdays, but like Friday and Saturday, like Friday afternoon, I get quite a lot of people, they would come, like because they finish work, because it's, it's a bit like it used to be as well in England, people finish work early on a Friday, so they would come by and like, what's actually kind of cool as well is that in in Germany, you can do this thing where you you can have beers in the fridge and you just have like a little sign that says beer with donation. Right. And people will like give you some money and they'll take a beer, which is how you do the exhibitions. No, it's the way around a license. You could you can give it away. Um but like with the exhibition openings, if I spend like fifty euros on beer, I make like two hundred back. So it was actually working out pretty good because it meant like I wouldn't have to stress too much, but that's what sucks now is that I can't do any of that stuff. Like, it's not even like I can try and cover it with that because that's what my friend Matthias that runs the skate shop, he was like, hey, you just need to do like at least once a month do like an opening and then you'll you'll kind of cover some of your costs. Yeah. But it it works out pretty good like that because it's such a... I mean, it was fine last year. I've got like a little garden and then we've got this space out the front as well where I can have a bench and we've got a sunshade. Yeah. So even when it was like I could only have like two people in the gallery at once... People, because you could have up to fifteen people in the. Was actually it was up to fifty people together at any place at one time. Yeah. So I could have fifty people outside and two people in the gallery. So it was totally, totally fine. But at the moment, I can't even have that. It's like one person by appointment, which just isn't even worthwhile, really. Yeah. Well, it's it's you know unless they you know that that person's going to come and definitely buy something or something like that, then it's it's a bit of a pain, really, isn't it? It's more just like it's a tough one. How would you do it on like an opening weekend? Like tell everyone like you need to book online and like yeah, who wants no, to do that? Like mission. Yeah, and like I tried to. We did. I did do a little bit of the online stuff, and it didn't. It worked okay, but then the last show in December was just like when it's cold, it doesn't really work either. No one really wants to come and hang out outside and wait to come in. So yeah, hopefully by June I can do like another couple of shows. So right, because you're you're planning to come back to the UK. At some point, aren't you? Yeah, end of August, beginning of September. Right. So how long have you been in Nuremberg for now? Three, it was three years this, it was three years in March. Right. Yeah, so like three years, the first, like Chrissy started on the 1st of April three years ago. And we came like a week before that, so. And did you, I can't remember if you came, but did you come back here for a bit first? Because you're in Australia, then you came back and then, did you go pretty much Yeah, we moved. Straight we to went. To, we went from we went from Australia to the we went from Australia to the States for three months, mm. 
And then we came back to England and we lived in Kent for three months, for three or four months. Mm. And then Chrissy got off with the job. She got like headhunted for the job at Adidas. And then she actually went for an interview and then they do this thing called a look-see trip where you go and you have a look. So we came together and then they literally were like, could you start next week? Right. And we were here on the trip. So she ne- actually never went back. I actually went back and then they paid for them to like ship all our house. So right, okay. I went back and had to... Sell all the house, get it all shipped. Yeah, sell my car. Like, if I could, just yeah, right, like okay. <laughs> it was kind of out of nowhere as well because it seemed like for ages they were talking to him about it and it just wasn't going to happen. And then it just, and then all of a sudden it was like, right, next week, yeah, like done. Because how long were you in Australia for? It was a while as well, wasn't it? Three years as well. Yeah. Well, it was like it was like a bit more because we went, we got married, and then we went for like a little bit more than six months. And then we went to the States again for like a few months. Then we came back. And in the time that we'd been in Australia, Chrissy got offered a job again there. Yeah. So we we ended up like living in Airbnbs for like three months in England, wait, like waiting for our visa to come through. Right. And then we could move back. So did you did you have a visa for a certain amount of time there or was it uh, kind of... Like no, it was just or? it was linked to Chrissy's job. So when Chrissy quit her job, we would try... We were trying to work out another way to stay, but it was actually really difficult. Yeah, and you were in Melbourne, weren't you? Yeah, but it's one of those things where you could get a visa, but you'd have to do things you didn't really want to do, and then it just kind of voids why you'd want to even be there. If you've got to get like some job that you don't even want to do and all this other stuff, and it was just like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Let's not, let's not make our lives way more stressful than it needs to be. So I was, I, I've, I've visited, uh, well, not a lot of places in Australia. I went to Melbourne and I went to Perth, but on a, a SB trip years ago. But I, I kind of wonder what Melbourne was like as a place to live. Because, like, going to st- going there for, like, two and a half weeks, whatever I was there, it was amazing. It was great. But Man, it's amazing to live in Melbourne. It's was it good? Best place I've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just easy. It's as easy as, like, when you, know, when you go to visit somewhere and you think it would be easy to live it, it's actually really easy to live there. Like, it's the most comfortable place to live. Right. It's, it's, it's just this weird, like, vortex where you're like, everything's pretty easy, everyone's super friendly, it's quite easy to fit in and to just... I think maybe being a skateboarder and, and, and making artwork and stuff, it makes it a lot easier because that sort of scene, both those scenes are really good yeah. and the music scene's really good. It takes a little while to make loads of friends, but it, it didn't seem to take that long and then I think the friends that I've got there are, like, some of the best friends I've ever had, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, it always it felt to me kind of like a it, well, it's kind of like a bit of a cliche thing to say, but it does feel like a mix of Britain and America in a lot of different ways. Like, yeah, kind of like a sense of humour is is very British and stuff like that, but then other things are kind of a bit more American, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I definitely say as well, like living being there, Melbourne's got this feel. I also got the feel like you know when you go to Portland or you go to Liverpool and it has this similar feel right yeah I don't know how to explain like like you can kind of cycle or skate anywhere you need to go you don't and you can get public transport there's places to skate everywhere each sort of smaller suburb has its own sort of scene but it's quite easy to get about there are there is like a good music a bit like you know like how Portland and Liverpool and I guess Sheffield as well has a similar thing where like there's lots of people doing things yeah yeah. Like, it definitely felt like when I lived there that people were doing things and if they just thought this might work, they're going to go and do it. You know, like, oh, I think it would be cool if we opened a cafe that only sold toasties. Right, I'm just going to open a cafe that sells toasties. 
Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to open a gallery, I'm just going to do that. Or like, I'm just going to open a metal-only record shop, you know. Like, people just do those things. It didn't seem like... It, it's a lot more, like, half-glass-full sort of place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It did feel very positive, and it felt it felt really young as well, Melbourne. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of kind of a big... It felt like a lot of influx and uh, of, of young people the whole time. And like, I think Australia in general around. is just, yeah. like, young, isn't it? I think so, yeah, and it's weird. But have you been to Perth as well? Because Perth was the only other place yeah, I went. And, and that was kind Perth of... Perth is fucking weird. It was, it was weird, yeah. Because <laughs> it's, like it's like where Morgan's from, and it's like we met Morgan out there, and that was rad. And we had to skate some really good spots and stuff, but it's like you'd be skating one bit of it, and it would be, like, you know, look kind of regular. Then you go around a corner, and it, it looked like 1972 or something. It was really weird. It was still like that when I... I think I went... I must have gone 2016. I yeah. went to Perth. I had an exhibition there. Yeah, and I went and it was... I remember just thinking this wasn't what I thought Perth... Because I had this idea in my head that Perth was like really, really rich and must have been really modern because of all the mining. And people had said like, yeah, you know, you go there, like coffee... Like the thing that... that the way I think people always work things out in, in Melbourne at least was like how much coffee costs, how much beer costs. Right, yeah. And they'll be like, yeah, coffee's like $6. Yeah, yeah, like beer's like fucking $15 for a pint of beer. And like, yeah, it's really rich because of all the mining. And then you went there and I was like, the only thing I noticed was people really like crack. <laughs> like, it just yeah. seemed like people really like crack. There were loads of weird people from like Lewisham or places like that. Like I met so many random like dudes that were like there for mining and they just... Yeah, just come from somewhere else, yeah. Yeah, there were loads of weird English people from like from like random places as well, and they were all quite sketchy. But they were like working in the mines, and then yeah, and like you say, like all the suburbs are really fucking weird. Like, like the guy the guy that I stayed with that worked at the skate shop, his house was super cool, but it looked like it was from the fifties, and their whole street did. And then you go to another street, and it's like, yeah, it looks super modern. Yeah, well, it's just I suppose it's one of those things about about how fast somewhere develops because like we all know British towns or cities that are like that it's like like Sheffield's a classic for that like they'd always redevelop one bit and then like <laughs> over time the bit that they'd redeveloped and they start to do another bit that would just in 10 years it would just look like 50 years old or something stupid because it'd always be like some kind of weird architecture thing that was in at the time and and like there's just so many weird buildings but yeah places like perth just must have so much space that if you want to build a new suburb you can actually build a new suburb like it's not like you need to knock down an old one yeah that's the thing the difference between like uh, i suppose america is the same thing it's like compared to europe australia and america they got space it's like here there's just no space in a lot no. of ways i mean some countries there are more than us but the uk is worse but yeah yeah that's what was weird moving to germany like especially in Nuremberg, we were like, oh, you know, like, like the whole system of like someone to ask you like what size house do you want? You're like, I don't know. And they're like, how many square metres? You're like, I don't fucking know what that means. <laughs> like, what does that mean? And then you start that. looking and you're like, no, and then you start looking and now I'm actually kind of into it. You know, when someone's like, you ask how big their house is and they're like, oh, it's like 75 square metres. You're like, well, mine's 110. So I know that yours is like a small yeah, one. A little bit smaller than this, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like we were just like, it was weird. Like we were in like a 19, I guess it's like a 1960s block of flats that's like above like a parade of shops. But our rooms, like both the bedrooms are really good size. Like in England, they probably divide this into three bedrooms, like first right. bedroom. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, it, you know, you get like the box room that yeah. there isn't box rooms in Germany. That doesn't seem to be a thing. 
it just seems like they build a place that like there's two bedrooms. Bedrooms are this big. That's how big a bedroom is. And they just give you a room. It's actually right. Yeah. But but also what's weird is a bit like England. Like if if you look out of, off our balcony because we're on the fourth and fifth floor, you can see where where our block of flats is used to be part of another building, but a bomb hit it. Oh shit! So that right, building okay. is now instead of being a, a full circle building with the courtyard that would have had the garden, you can see where it's sheared off, so it's just a corner. Right. So, well, it's weird saying that because here in Bath, it's like that sometimes. Because because this was bombed quite badly in World War Two. Yeah, um, but I, but yeah, but Bath is one of those places as well that I never realised. In my mind, I was like, yeah, it's 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 Spa Town Bath or whatever. But I didn't expect yeah. it to actually look like that. I was like, it's oh, yeah, really everywhere. amazing looking place. It's amazing looking, yeah, and it's kind of you get used to it. But sometimes there's weird bits like my kid's school is just behind the Royal Crescent, that the big main, like the famous. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's like this weird little green of of just like a little square in the middle of the road, like a little park bit. And it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. And then I was in the pub down the road and there used to be a fucking church there, like a massive great church. But it got yeah. fucking bombed. And the, the old road we used to live on, like half the street was missing. Like buildings just kind of stopped. It was weird. Like where the bombs had come down. That's and also in town, there's like, there's there's a couple of buildings where, um, like, the bombers came down and they shot, like, down the fucking streets with machine guns and there's, like, bullet holes in all of the... What the like, the fuck? Front. It's gnarly, yeah. It's like, like really? It's like, yeah, you can see... Why were they like, doing that to Bath? They've got something against swimming or... But yeah. That is a weird... Yeah. When I went to... There's this uh, art bunker by the castle, which you can go to, which is, like... So when, when you go to it, you have to go to this weird door and it's near the bottom of the castle and you go in and it's like a tunnel. And so in 1930, I think it's 35 or 36, they started digging out the back of the castle because Hitler had this plan that, and they did it secretly. They didn't tell anyone until 38 that they were doing it. They were digging these tunnels underneath the castle. So if bombs hit the, the, the top of the mountain that is the castle... They wouldn't go through, so they could store stolen artwork in the castle. Oh, Jesus, right, yeah, okay. So inside the castle, or inside the bunker, they have this big diagram on the wall of the city of which bits got bombed by the British. But on the di- typically German, obviously, they recorded it. It shows which night which got bombed, how many people died, how many buildings got destroyed, and which aeroplanes did it. So if it's the <laughs> British, the Canadians, or the Americans. Right. And it's like, you know, the British did the worst damage. It was in revenge for Coventry. Right, apparently, okay. like that's yeah. when they bombed the shit out of Nuremberg. Right. But apparently, something like something crazy, like ninety-five percent of the old town was destroyed. Jesus, right. And they rebuilt it exactly the way it was. Right. So I've got no kind of idea about how big Nuremberg is. Is it kind of? It's like a hundred and I think it's like a hundred and fifty thousand people, but the old town is like it's actually an old town within a moat. And then right, everything okay. else outside it. So they didn't, like, the British didn't really bomb. We didn't bother bombing, like, the outskirts parts. We just bombed the centre, which... I think we did bomb the, the courthouse because they had to rebuild it, which is outside the city. But, yeah, like, it's it's a really... Like, in the middle of the city, it looks like a really old, quaint German town. Yeah. But it looks a bit Disney-esque because they rebuilt it. So right, it's actually technically a... only been built since, like, 1940 or something, like, right, 1946 or whatever. kind of faux... Faux castle, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they've, re- they've rebuilt with the same bricks, but it's or the same stones, and they've like cut it all off, so it looks really cool. But you're like, this doesn't look like 
700 years old or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bath is the same as that because they have laws like you can't, uh, you've got to build in the Bath stone colour at least if you don't, you know, if you don't actually use the Bath stone, it has to be like that kind of sandstone colour. And like you can't have um, satellite dishes on buildings. You can't have uh, like neon signs and things. Fucking hell. Yeah, so I, 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 do you know, I've never been to Aldershot. So what was it like growing up there? And like, what was there a skate scene there or anything, or was it? There was like Aldershot's like one of those places. I guess it's a bit like, I hate to say, it, it's a bit like Stoke on Trent, where it's like Aldershot's at the main military town, and there's like Fleet and Farnborough and Farnham. So the skate scene was kind of like those four towns together made the skate scene. Do you know what I mean? So there was like. Aldershot's the most ghetto of all the towns, like because it's the military town, and it's a bit cheaper, and it's sort of the place where it can be a bit sketchy. Like Farnham's the most expensive. It's obviously that's the one that's in Surrey, so it makes it like nice and expensive. And then Fleet is nice, and Farnborough's like in between. Yeah, the, the skate scene was pretty good. Like because you joined it all together, there was like this. There's, it was, everyone still skates. There's a car park in Farnborough, in the middle of the roundabout, in the middle of the town centre, that everyone would skate every night. And it's just literally like a bunch of mani pads with curbs that you can skate. Yeah. And it was like it was like Monday to Friday every week of the year. Like in the summer we'd skate somewhere else, maybe, but definitely as soon as the night's drawing, you go there because it had lights till like eight thirty. And it would always you could skate, like it was always really good to skate. It was actually a really good place to skate. It was almost like having a, a very shitty skate park to skate. Right. So there was always a scene around that and then yeah, as people got older, it, it was that, and it was always a good. There's a relatively good music scene because there was like a met, like this sort of metal pub sort of place in Farnborough called the Tumble Down, and that that had like bands and stuff would play, and then it was always like other places. There was this place in Aldershot called the West End Centre as well, and they had this thing called the Buzz Club where like yeah, like bands that sort of came there before they got really big. So like I saw like. Blur and Suede and Oasis and Black Grape and like, you know, like Salad. And then like metal bands as well would come and play there and stuff and, and like more punk bands. But it was like, there was always bands playing there. They sort of, it was sort of, I guess where people went before they were big enough to play places like Guildford. So they would play Aldershot first. So, and then there was the art college in Farnham. So there was kind of like an art scene and there was a skate scene sort of, but that would always change. You know, it's like like people would come, go to the college, you'd see them for three years, skate with them, and then they'd leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's always, there's always that flux in every skate scene, isn't there, of like, especially students are a massive part of that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Like, Sheffield was, was amazing for that in a way. It's just like, yeah, you'd have this big influx of people in just, you know, September, that'd be it. It'd be like, you know, everywhere would just be packed with people and stuff. It'd be great, but yeah. Yeah, because we'd have the, there was a spot at Farnham at the halls of residence. There was a bank outside it. You could only literally skate for like one week of the summer holidays while they repainted all the student <laughs> halls. Right. So it was like that one week, and everyone would go and try and skate in this one flat bank because it was like the only flat bank in the whole of like the whole area that you could skate. Yeah. So, like, I suppose when did the kind of art stuff start for you? When did, when did, did you always draw as growing up, or was that? It? I think I just always did it. I just don't really remember not doing it. Like, I think my mum was always super supportive about it, and she worked at the art college. So, like, when I was a kid, like, if we had like a day off at school, I'd have to go to like the art college with my mum, and she would like. She used to work originally. She worked as a secretary in the foundation department, so I would have to go. 
they would be doing all different things, whatever they were doing that day, I would just go and join in for the day and the lecturers would like show me how to do stuff and it was kind of cool because I would have been like, I guess anything from like 11 onwards, so probably before I, like probably about the same time as I started skating, maybe a little bit before I started doing that and I was just really into it, I just liked doing it and it was the only subject at school that I really enjoyed, I didn't really like any other subjects. Like, I was good at other subjects but I didn't really enjoy them. Yeah. Like, there were some subjects where I think my brain was like, yeah, this works, I know how to do this, I'm all right with it. But art was actually like, oh, I just like to do this, I'm not really... It was It was never felt like work, like, it never really felt like a massive stress to do it. Like, I always did way more than I was meant to do, you know? Yeah. So where was the first time that kind of, I suppose, the 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 rough kind of angle, I suppose, with this podcast would be like, about skateboarding's influence on people's creativity and kind of vice versa, really. So I suppose where was the first time that you kind of, your art stuff kind of came up against with skating stuff or what was it like a board graphic? That well, I mean, like, you, I guess or? I got like crazy influences from skateboarding, I guess, because you see all the graphics. I remember I used to go to Surrey Skateboards and just go and look at all the board graphics before I even skated because my grandparents lived in Woking. So I'd go to Woking and I'd always go to the skate shop and go and look at the, all the boards and be like super into the graphics. And then I guess like I just got really into it and then I was always drawing stuff. Yeah, I, I can't really remember. I know that I'd I know like I'd known Foz since I was like the first time I did anything to do with skateboarding was with Foz. Yeah. And that was maybe a, was it for heroin? Yeah, I can't remember before that. I can't remember if it was for heroin or if it was just that Foz put me in touch with Seb and I had that show at Sumo. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember, yeah. And I think around the same sort of time, I was, like, finishing university and I helped out take down or put up an exhibition that America sponsored. And there was, like, a girl who worked for America in the States and she'd sort of said, oh, you know, send me some of your artwork. And obviously that was kind of... Email sort of existed, but not really. So I emailed her and got the address and then just sent her a load of drawings. <laughs> like, I didn't, really, I didn't really get it. I was like, here you go, here's, like, a box of drawings, like... And then I think I did, a, I did like two America t-shirts off the back of it. Right. Yeah, and then I did a ball graphic for Foz, but it was like, I think I was just, I just used to make so much stuff. It was kind of out of control. Like I would just make so many things, like weird paintings on bits of cardboard, like all these drawings on bits of paper, like drawings on bits of wood, like paintings on bits of wood. Yeah, and then like, yeah, and then Seb was like, yeah, have a show at Sumo in the window. So I did that, and I was like, oh, this is an exhibition, this works. Yeah. So that was, I think mean, that's the first time that that was directly with skateboarding was at Sumo, I think. Right, okay, that's cool. So, yeah, I suppose that's the thing, it's like, the, I suppose it, it pulls on the kind of, the skateboarding kind of DIY aspect of a lot of stuff, which a lot of skateboarders' creativity, like, I mean, you went to college to, to do art, didn't you? You did fine art. Yeah. Well, it was... It was kind of a case, I think, with, with university. I didn't really know what to do. And when I went to do my A-levels, my dad was... My mum and dad, I was like, look, I just wanted to... I wanted to do... Originally, I wanted to do a GMBQ in art design. And my parents, being supportive but not really understanding, were just like, GMBQ is bullshit. You're not doing a GMBQ. You could do your A-levels, but you're not doing a GMBQ. And I was just like, but why? I don't want to do any other subjects. And then the deal kind of was, was I could do... Art A-level, but I had to do two real subjects. 
Right, okay. So I took like French and history, which I ditched French immediately. It was fucking way harder than GCSE French. <laughs> yeah, right, I can imagine. It went from being like asking for something on a menu to like having to read a fucking novel in French in like right. one step. You're like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, so I did that and I carried on doing history. I think I did business studies for a bit and then quit and just did two A-levels and I just did... Oh, and then I went and did my foundation and I was just like, I don't want, like, I just didn't want to do anything else. And then when it came to doing a degree, I just didn't, I still didn't know after my foundation what to do. And then I think it was actually my dad has just said, you may as well do whatever you want to do because there's no guarantee you're ever going to get to do this for a living. So even if you go and do graphic design because you think it's going to give you a job instead of doing fine art, there's no guarantee that you're going to get a job in graphic design or you can do this. So if you want to just make art, just go and do it for three years and at least you get a degree at the end of it. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, when I did my degree, I spent like every waking moment you could be in the studio, I was in there making work. Right, that's amazing, yeah. Yeah, I just didn't see it as work. It just wasn't like a thing. It wasn't like I was trying to pass a course. What I found really weird was that other people would be like, I don't fucking care what the teachers say, I'm just going to make this. And I'd always be like, yeah, but if you want a degree, you do have to jump through some hoops. There's some people, you can just, you can spot students a mile away who are going to be, you know, artists, or they're, gonna, you know, they're there for the right reasons. And you can spot the ones who are just like, ah, I'm just here because, you know, it's kind of yeah. odd. You know, th- or the ones who are dressed wacky to look like, art, like they're doing art. And then there's the other, the thing that I always thought was funny was the ones that were dressed really normal, their art was the fucking weirdest. <laughs> they were always like, the yeah. ones that looked super regular were just like the ones that you were like, like they'd be like, I've made this video, and it'd be them like painting a painting with their cock, and you'd just be like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'm painting a picture of a vagina with my penis. You're like, what? This is insane. <laughs> so if, yeah, if, you're, if you were a motivated student, I think that's, you know, a pretty... I mean, I just was like, I didn't know what to I didn't really know what to do. And then when I finished, in my last year, I met Toby Shaw and Marcus Oakley and Badger and all those guys. And I was in that Side Effects Eurofane exhibition. And Toby just told me to bring like loads of paintings. So I just got my mum to pick me up and I took these three massive paintings and a load of drawings. And I was in that show and I met Marcus. And I think probably... The most influential thing in my entire career was meeting Marcus Oakley, I think, because he just... i never met anyone else who actually did it and did it not for money. He did it for money because he got paid and he made a living, but he did it because he loved it and his thinking around it was just so different to anything anyone had said to me. Like, he was just like... Like, all that stuff, he would just be like... Oh, he like he's the first one that said to me, I think you could be an illustrator, and I was like, I never even considered it, and he was like... Yeah, you could just make artwork and I'm sure like you could just draw pictures and like contact this magazine and they'll get you to do some drawings. And I was just like, what? I don't really understand. And he would just be like, make a zine and then go to Borders and look in the back of a load of book, like magazines that you like and you think your work would be cool with and then send them your zine and then call them in like a week and ask them if they got it and then be like, can I speak to the art director? Yeah, like I'm French, like I sent you this. And then he was like, yeah, 95% of the time they're going to tell you to fuck off, but what, like... That rest of that time, they're going to be like, yeah, cool, come in and show me the rest of your work and then maybe give you some more work. Yeah. So I think that, that really changed it. Yeah, totally. And I think that's it's kind of like a, an interesting thing about zines and stuff like that. I mean, zines have always kind of been everywhere. It's in skateboarding, definitely. But I think there's quite a difference like with that, with actually physically sending somebody something as well. 
like especially like because thinking about how to get noticed like these days for younger artists, I'm sure that's really really hard in a lot of ways. I can't imagine it now. Like emailing people, the idea of emailing them, like even when I've done it recently to try and get work, it's it's fucking hard because like people don't reply to emails. No. Well, they can just ignore it if they want to, you know. That's, yeah, but yeah. if you send them something, they can't really ignore it because they've got it. It's arrived. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's definitely skateboarding. It helped me, like you say, with that DIY thing. I think it was a lot easier for me to meet other skateboarders like Marcus and Toby and people who had made, and like Nick Taylor and all these other people that were like making stuff and doing things. And I, I could just see that that's how that kind of worked. Like I didn't really understand it, but I was like, okay, yeah. So so I just got a job at the skate shop and just did that. But it, that it was like a really good thing where I was just like. It doesn't really feel like work, and I really enjoy it. And then when I got work, it was almost like a challenge just because you're like, you've got to get more and more work. And it, sometimes it was like some of the jobs you get in that, in that time as well are so fucking random now, thinking about the things that I did. You're just like, like people would never, now that, now that you've got like a body of work, people would never ask you to do it because, oh, that's not what you do. But when you don't, people just look at it and go, yeah, could you just do this? Yeah, completely. Like they asked you to do lots. Like I had a job for a little while where I redrew CAD files of uh, like buildings for an architecture company by hand without any like reference. So I just put like I print. They would send me the printouts. I'd put them there. I'd just take like a felt tip pen and a piece of paper and I would just draw it and it would be wonky as fuck. And then I would scan it and send it to them and they were stoked because it doesn't look like the CAD drawing because it's not. Right, it was so like wobbly, like, a, like it had like this jelly look to it, like it looked yeah. like this weird wobbly thing because it wasn't yeah. right at all. Right, but they they liked that style, and like, but now no one would ever ask me to do that. Like it was such a cool thing to do at the time. I was like, this is really fun. Yeah, you know, like, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, but it's it's such a difficult thing when you come from that. I mean, I guess it's the same as, I guess it's the same as being a sponsored skateboarder. Like you kind of, if you don't have any sponsors, it's really hard to get a sponsor no matter how good you are. But the minute you have one sponsor, other sponsors make notice, right? So the minute you get, like, one job in art, other people, like... Like, you could, you could have all this amazing work, but you haven't done any work for anyone. The minute you do one good job, people are like, oh, you did work for them, well, we'll get you to do work for us then. It's not even like, oh, your work's good. It's just like, oh, you did work for them, so you must be okay then. Well, I was, just, I was looking on your website, and I was looking through, your, like, your kind of... Um your kind of CV really and, and the different people you've worked for and it's like it's really kind of wide breadth of different stuff really and like BBC ITV and then like loads of different other companies and it's like it's quite um, kind of the, you know someone's career kind of grows quite organically doesn't it I suppose yeah the things that you get for one thing and I think especially like social stuff like I'm sure like, you know, being in skateboarding and then like working in a skate shop and stuff like that as well is another one of being like, oh, that you meet someone who knows someone and then it's like these things snowball from there. Yeah, because I got work from working in the skate shop. That was random as well. Like people would be like, yeah. oh, yeah, so you do this. And you'd be like, yeah, this is my sketchbook. Like you just shout to them over the counter and be like, oh, could you just do this for us then? Yeah. But I think as well it helps, that DIY thing helps because a lot of that like, doing like a shop t-shirt for someone or some small skate brand or like a small band or you know like for someone else's zine it makes you so much more credible when it comes to like the bigger brands and people when you do it they're like oh we saw this 
like I used to get so when I first started, I got so many things like, oh, I saw you did like this thing for like this tiny little thing that's like this thing that's on your website, and you'd be like, oh yeah, it's just like a friend. Like, yeah, could we get that? Yeah. And you're like, oh right, yeah, it's like a random grindcore band from like Liverpool. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like some guy that I met, and he was like, oh, you do logos. We haven't got any money, and you'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. It'll be cool. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So I, I suppose what was the was there a first job that you got that you were like, oh, this is you know like I've I've not necessarily arrived or anything, but this is like oh, this is going up a level, or this is something which is legit and like you felt validated by it. I suppose. Yeah, the first the first paid job I ever got, I got paid £145 for doing illustrations for Sidewalk that Nick Taylor got me to do the music pages. Oh, right, yeah. And that was the first paid job I ever had. Yeah. And then the first job I ever had that actually was like, fuck, this is actually money, was I did the Blackmail Homewares collection and a bunch of other stuff for Silas. And like... I went through. I met Russell in a. I went skating with Sam Griffin actually, and someone else and Chaz and someone else at Moorgate Car Park, and it must have been a Friday night, like a winter Friday night. And then we went to. I think it was the Fox. It was called. There was like a pub near there that Russell Russell and everyone used to go to after work when the Silas office was near Old Street. And I met Russell in the pub, and he'd seen my paintings, those black metal paintings that I did that were in surface in between exhibition and Russell was like he was telling me that he really liked them and we were talking about like music and he was really into metal and he was like oh I have this company called Silas and I'd never heard of it I didn't know anything about it I was like, I don't know what that is yeah and then he was like oh you should bring me bring me your portfolio and we'll like let me have a look and we oh, you could do some work for us and I was like yeah cool so like I went to see him like the next week and I just took like similar thing I think I took like a box of paintings on cardboard and a sketchbook and I had this old MacBook and I just took it with me and he offered me to do like the black metal homewares and to do window and wall displays for I think it was the Nagoya, Osaka and Tokyo Silas stores. Right. And when he told me and he, I had this cup of tea. When he told me how much they were going to pay me, I spat it out because <laughs> I, I was just like proper spit oh, take. Fuck. <laughs> Wait, I think it was like. I think I went from like the most ever been paid for a job was like two hundred quid. Yeah. And I think he paid me five grand. Right. And I and I proper was like, what the fuck? And I remember, I remember getting the tube because I must have had the day off. I remember getting the tube the next day, back to work. I was working at Skate of Mind in Marlborough Court, just off Carnaby Street. Yeah. And then just taking all of my holiday, so I could finish <laughs> the silence job. And then right. and then I was like, cool. And then I was like, cool. I've got this money. And that's actually when. I went to, and then I took. I had like an extra week, and I went to Paris with Foz because I got paid. I was like, I'm just going to take another week off unpaid because I've been paid by Silas. I'm going to go to Paris. Yeah, and wow. go skateboarding with Foz. Yeah, amazing. But yeah, and then after that, I I gradually I went to work at Side for Greg. Yes. And and Alan, yeah, I worked at Side, and that was really good because of the gallery down below below Side that was attached. Yeah, right, yeah. So that worked out really good. I think I did that for like a year. And I gradually worked down to like one or two days a week. And then I worked for Shiner for a little bit. And then and then I went 100% freelance. Like I was done. Like I was just like, I can't. So were you, were you in Bristol working at Shiner? Or were you, were you on the road? No, I worked. Now? I worked. I was like customer service, like brand manager, like dog's body. Yeah. Kind of guy. Like looking after shops. 
So I didn't actually have to be, I only had to go to the office like one day a month or something. So I actually had a van and I drove to shops, which actually made it good for me because I could have like one week where I would be like on the road all week and the next week I would just have to do stuff on the phone so I could do all my illustration work at home. Right. But then it just got to the point where I couldn't do both. I was like, I can't do both these things. Like, I suppose that's like, you know, if you're going from something like, I suppose like the, the Silas Joel, which you were talking about, then it's like, was there ever a point where you think you'd ever like do a, you know, you've done like ball graphics for Eric Dressen and people like that and like things which are, you know, like huge for from, you know, kids like us growing up seeing those things and seeing those graphics. It and, does feel really huge, but then it starts to feel really like organic. Like you said before, it feels organic like because you do like, like you do, you do like a ball graphic for like Creature then you, and it's NHS, isn't it? And you do some stuff at Indy and then, and then I met, I'd met Eric in LA with my friend Corey. We went to go skate. We went to go and skate Glendale, and he was friends with Eric because Eric worked at the tattoo shop up the street. And then we went to skate there with Eric, and Eric was he was super nice guy, really, really cool. And then I think I met him again once more on like another indie thing, and then he was in Australia on like a Santa Cruz trip, and he just really, I I just realized he's such a nice guy. He was so fun to hang out with and talk to. And I think we just ended up getting in this routine of just going and skate the Fitzroy Bowl when it was behind my house and I have coffee in the morning. And then we just got talking and we were just talking about what would be a really cool graphic. And like, I was like, oh, this would be cool at this. And then he was like, yeah, I'm going to ask them if they'll get you to do my graphic. And then it just happened. And it was like, that was really nice because it felt a bit more like I actually knew him. So I was a bit like, I could say to him, I could kind of say to him, my favourite graphics of yours are all your Dogtown graphics. Yeah, right. But not okay. actually your Santa Cruz yeah. graphics. So the Dogtown, like... Eric's, I think his Dogtown graphics were so cool. You know, that you can be like, this is, this is like that. So it is, sometimes it feels really organic and sometimes it's really random because people send you emails like, we've seen your work. And you're just like, oh yeah, fuck, I wonder how they saw that. And then when they tell you, you're like, oh, okay, that's really rad. Like, it's like I said before, like when you start doing more work for other people, but like skate stuff, like when I first got to do an indie graphic, I think that was the one brand that I was just like, fuck I really wanted to I wanted to do an indie graphic so badly I was yeah. just like it was like on my list of things that I really wanted to do it was like the one thing that had been consistently a brand that I liked in skateboarding was like like you go through all the different board brands that you can buy and you can get and you get like English brands and American brands and Euro brands and whatever shapes you like and the rest of it but the whole time I'd always just been like I guess it was drilled into me by the older skaters like you have to ride indies yeah, ride indies. yeah, yeah totally and then now I'm I'm more at the at the stage where I'm like, I don't know if I could ride something else because it might be different. So I'd probably freak out, and I can't. I don't have the time to deal with something yeah. different. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's the, yeah, it's, it, things like that. Just, you, you can't change things like that after a while, can you? I feel like I feel like trucks is the one thing that you kind of, if you like it, you can't fuck with it because it's the one thing on your board that is consistent no matter what. If you get new, because you're going to have to get new wheels relatively recently, and you're going to get new boards all the time. So you can sort, you get used to getting used to, but when you have to change trucks, it's such an integral part of your board. It's so hard. It's so hard to just, like, I get it. Like when people are like, oh, you know, I ride ace, they turn like this. And I'm like, yeah, that's really rad. Like I, I totally get it. I don't want to deal with that. Cause if it's wrong, I've got, I've got to start again. Yeah. No, completely. Like, yeah. Cause setting up new trucks, just get wearing the groove in them. So they like, they don't slip out. You're just like, oh, can't cope with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like that with pet 
I like it with pens. Pens. That, that's well, that's, that's like that. another fucking. Weird. Is it right? Okay. And are they? What what pens do you like? I like these Japanese. They're like a, a pilot, like made in Japan, pilot fine liners. I was going to say, is it something really hard to get that <laughs> you can't get anywhere else? They are hard to get in it? Germany because because right. Stettler is such a brand here, and they're expensive. But I buy them in like boxes of like twelve or twenty four. But it's more that. Fuck, this is how retarded I... This is actually how kind of, like, anal I am about it. So when I draw with one, when it's new, it's really good for the straight lines and the hard lines. And then I have, like, one where it's worn down at a bit of an angle. So I keep that one and I put another colour tape around the top of the pen so I know that one's slightly worn down. So that one does more, more like, lines like this. And then one that's really worn down, I put, like, a different colour tape around that so I know that that one does other lines. And then I have, like... So they're like a 0.3 and then I have like a 0.5 and a 0.8 and they're usually worn down a bit. But it's like, it's, they're just better for different things and they, they do, like, they bleed better on certain paper. But this is like, this is like the same as, you know, this is exactly the same thing as like trucks. It's like you only get yeah. to that point with something if, you, if you've really had a lot of experience with it. It's like, no, you totally. know, that, that, like this is the shit really, you know. But that's, that's what happens. It's like, it's like paper... There's like one one style of paper that I really really prefer, and I can't get it here. So last time I went back to London, I went to like the art shop and I literally bought every pad of A4 and A3 they had in the shop. Yeah. And had to carry it back on as hand luggage to bring back because I was just like, I don't want to deal with this. I just don't want to have to deal with, because it's it's really weird. You can you can find paper that says, oh, it's like 120 gram, acid free, unbleached, all this other stuff non-textured, as soon as you start drawing on it, you're like, this is nothing like the one that I was had, that I had before, this is a certain brand. And you're like, this is so... And it, it's really hard because it can quite often really change the way something looks. Sometimes in a good way, by accident, but sometimes you can just be like, I don't have time because you're trying to do a job. You're like, I don't really have time to work out this doesn't work. Well, it's just knowing what works, isn't it? It's just like and if you have a formula down and you have something that you can rely on, then that's that's really important, isn't it? Yeah, like what? Like one of the funny things I got recently was someone said to me, "I oh, how do you get these funny, like shading lines around your work, like when you print it?" And I was like, "Oh, actually, that's just where I don't rub out the pencil lines first, right? And then I put it into <laughs> Photoshop and turn the whole thing black and white, yeah. and it gets this blurred edge, and that's actually the pencil. That's not actually right. the pen, yeah, wow. Because I just don't, because I don't rub it out. I'm just like I just forget, and then that happens. I'm like, no, it's just the way it's going to be. So, so I suppose the the the. The thing you went from, like, you know, doing boards for Files and doing boards for lots of other companies, and I suppose, like, logically, the thing step on from there was to start your own board company, which you did. It was more an accident than actually a step. Right. It was more at the time I couldn't get the board, the board shape and size that I wanted to ride. And because I'd worked at Shiner and I was doing work for so many people, I could ask people about how to make boards and then be like so how do you get how do you do this and then because I would have to make stuff print ready I'd be like well I know how to make all that and then I would just deal and then I had like a job and I dealt with already with the factory generator and I was just like well how much so you just get a quote you're like how much is it to make like 50 of this how much is the minimum and they're like 50 of a graphic and you're like so can I do that across a bunch of sizes like yeah if we've got it in stock or you can make custom ones we have to make 50 of each custom you're like so I think I just did it. I was like, I wasn't really trying to start a company. It was more that I was just like, I'm just going to make 50 boards. 
and I wanted like I wanted this short eight point five. At the time, it seemed really big, but it was like a. I mean, this would have been like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I was like, I wanted like a short wheelbase, short eight point five board that the tail was slightly like a cigar shape. And I really preferred skating. I just really liked it. And I'd had a couple of anti-hero boards that were like that. But the noses were funny. And I was like, well, maybe I could do this. And then when I was like, well, if I'm going to make like one graphic, I might as well make three. So I asked Paul Parker if he wanted to do one. And then my friend Sam wanted to do one. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do that. And then I just, somehow I just I just spoke to Wes at Rock Solid and was like, I'm going to make like these boards. Would you want to sell some? And he was like, yeah. And then they arrived and he'd already sold everything. Wow, well, okay. So that, and then that's kind of how it worked. It was just more like it was, and at the time, it wasn't like now. There wasn't like a thousand small board brands. It wasn't really like no, that. Totally, it was yeah, a lot yeah, less. It was, yeah, it was a lot less. Yeah. Like it was. It wasn't long before the explosion of people making their own board brands. But it was. A, it was like a few years, like five years before. And I guess I just started making more boards that I. Like team riders would be like, I want to ride this, and they could be like, Oh, cool. Well, I'll just ask the factory, and the factory would be like. Yeah, we can just make you fifty of those. And I'm like, cool. I just and I'm like, I'm not losing anything. I'm like, it wasn't like a massive. It wasn't like I was loaded, but it wasn't like I wasn't gonna be able to sell them. They're skateboards. I can sell them eventually. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you don't make a profit, you make your money back. Yeah. And it was like, cool. Like I'm doing other stuff. So it worked out really well. So it was just more like that, and then it just gradually built until it got to the point where it was a bit too much for me. I kind of couldn't really do it. I was a bit like. Yeah, I wasn't trying to make this like another job and it almost became like another full-time job. So it wasn't really like I wanted to do that. Yeah, well, I think that's the, a, a big thing. You know, it must uh, I can imagine from the outside being someone who's been working for other people and done, uh, you know, either art projects or like working to an exhibition or uh, working on specific jobs for people to then go something which is like, oh, no, you have to do quotas or whatever the quota size is or you have to fill out a certain thing for each season or how are you doing boards and stuff that's quite a different mindset and you've got to really want it haven't you really i suppose it's not like you need to really want it it's more like you have to have the conviction to be like whatever i'm going to make i reckon it's going to work and if it doesn't you have to be grown up enough to be like that didn't work like there was a few things that i made that there was more like clothing that i made that was like fuck that didn't work and then had to sell it for a bit less or lose a little bit and i don't think i really ever lost money on anything i think it was stuff that was more like I end up just having to sell it off for literally what it cost me to make. But also what's funny is you think, you start your own thing and you think, yeah, I'm just going to make what I want. Yeah. Man, as soon as you start making your own thing, everyone else has got a fucking opinion. <laughs> and everyone's telling you what you should do with it and how it should be and this is what should happen and, oh, we need, we need this, we need to do that. Like, like people, like, the amount of people that had like shops that would be like, yeah, we would really sell this, you make it. We can't sell it. This other distributors like in France and you know all these other places be like, yeah, we want this because it'll sell. Yeah, I'll make that for you then. Yeah, yeah, we don't want it anymore. It's not going to sell. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's just like so. I think I think with that you just have to really stick with your own conviction and be like, you know what? At least if I make the decision and it's my bad decision, then it's my bad decision. It's no one else's. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I suppose following on from that, because did did witchcraft kind of stop officially or did it just kind of peter out or did you... I never really officially stopped it i just stopped doing it fair enough i mean me and it got to put what i was doing it with alex Irvin, and then we stopped we stopped doing it with rock solid 
and then we were distributing ourselves and then neither of us really had time for it. Yeah. And really it was big enough that it needed to it needed someone to do it full time. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to do it full time. And I think the thing that really killed it for me was I didn't want to not go skateboarding and have a skateboard company instead. Yeah, no, totally, yeah. And I'm not saying like I'm not saying like oh, I'm really good at skateboarding. I I can go skateboard, you know, I'm like a really good skateboarder. It was more the fact that I've never thought of skateboarding as being the guy where I have to sit around and watch other people skate to make sure we film it. And we and then if we're going to go on a skate trip, I I can't skate because we've got to film this and we've got to do that. I don't enjoy any of that stuff. I never did. I didn't really do it for that. So when it got really like that, it re- when the enjoyment was gone, I just didn't want to do it. And because the financial the financial side of it is like it was making money. It it always made money. I came out of it with money, but it wasn't like this is what it wasn't like. Fuck! I should do this because I'm going to get like 150 grand at the oh, end yeah, of the year. It was it, like, yeah. oh, at the end of the year, I I might break even or make 10 grand. Yeah. It was like, like you do you do a full time job for a year and you make 10 grand. It's not really, it's not really <laughs> exactly, what you wanted yeah. to do for doing 12 hours a day, is it? It's <laughs> no, like, and I just I just like Alex had other stuff going on. He couldn't really put the time into it. I definitely didn't want to put the time into it. And we both both made the decision to just stop making it. Right. So if we wanted to make it again, it's not technically gone. It's like, but at the same time, it, it was it was really fun when it, when it happened. And then, but do you know what I mean? I just, like my idea of going skateboarding isn't watching people jump down handrails and sit there and like film it and then be like, we have to make sure we get this and then move on to the next spot and do this. My idea of going skateboarding is going to a car park and spinning around in circles for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, doing 50-50s on a curb like a thousand times and then just talking shit with your mates. I don't really... I'm not, I'm not concerned about the rest of it. It wasn't really a thing for me, so it was really hard to to translate that in my head that I would want to go and do that. Like The tours that we did originally, like the trips that we did, were super fun because it was treated like a fucking joke. It was like really funny. But I think those are the, like, you know, the, 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 times, the, the times that I've had with skateboarding which have been best like that, I mean... Obviously, it's like when you're with a bunch of people and it's a team and it's like, you know, uh, and if you're in a van with a bunch of people, it doesn't matter if you're a team rider or if you're a filmer or if you're a company owner, you, you go and it's like you're in the thing together and that's like the best bit, really. So, I mean, uh, taking that, uh, your experience with that and then starting the dungeon stuff after that, was that like a completely dif- different kind of mindset and a different way of doing it? And I mean, Dungeon was just, I made a zine and I called it Dungeon. And Dungeon was originally mine and my friend Ging and my friend Nick. We played music together as a joke. And it was actually, we had a joke band that we played in his nan's living room when we were drunk with all the instruments he had in his house. And we called it Dungeon. And it was actually, this is a proper skate nerd one. It's actually Snowy's music from his first section on the first Heron video. Oh yeah, no, I that's remember actually that. yeah, du- that's that was, actually dungeon. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's so amazing. I just called my zine dungeon, and then and then I made the zine, and then someone was like, "Oh, that graph that was it called? Was it called Eat Me the track?" Yeah, yeah, yeah Eat Me. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we had like this. Yeah, and then I just made some shirts to go with the zine, and then people bought it. So I just made some more stuff. So it's not it's not technically anything. It's it's actually really a sticker company because I think I made stickers first, right? But then, 
But then people that I met, like other skaters, were like, oh, can I, can I ride for Dungeon? And I'd be like, yeah, I can send you some stickers, but I can't really afford to give you a shirt. And people would be like, I'll buy a shirt. And I'd be like, yeah, you can have one for like what it cost me to make. Yeah. And it kind of snowballed that people wanted to have it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But I don't, like, I don't chase shops to sell it to shops. I don't try and get it to distribute. If people want to buy it, I'm really happy to sell it to them. And I'm really happy to sell it to them for like, like if shops wanted to buy it, I do it for as cheap as I can. And like I have it on the web shop and if people are really, really into it, I'm really happy. And like some, like a couple of shops in Japan bought it, a couple of shops in the States bought it. Like it's not, and then I make like patches and stickers and hats and t-shirts and, and when, and it's, and it's nice because no one's saying to me, oh, we need a new season. So we need, we need to know when it's going to drop like these four times a year and we've got to make the money. And it's like, no, no, I want to make it with James, who printed a lot of the, the witchcraft stuff, who used to work for Stuart Love and Skate. I only want it to be printed by James. I'm not interested in printing it with anyone else. I don't care. James skates. He does a really good job. He's really quality, and he's a fun guy to go skating with. So I want to do it with James. So I'm just like, I'm just doing it. And like, now, because of Brexit, I don't get it sent to Germany. It goes to my dad, and my dad mails out all my mail order. <laughs> Does he <it> shit? <laughs> 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 That's amazing. So it's so funny having conversations. My dad would be like, "You've only got uh, three more uh, satanic burial shirts left in this box. Do you need to print some?" Like, yeah. But yeah, it's just like that kind of stuff, and it's just cool, you know. Like Dead Dave was really into it. Like I just he, I, I can't remember if I asked him or if he asked me. But anyway, I was like, "I'll send you some stuff if you like it." Yeah, so like just different people just got into it and I was like, yeah, I'll send you some stuff. So, and then sometimes I'm like to the team runners, I'm like, oh, it's sold really well this season. I can send you some stuff for free. And sometimes I'm like, if you want anything, here's a code. You just have to pay the postage and the cost of it. And I don't make any money on it. And I'm like, I just can't afford to send you anything. And it's actually really nice because then you're only really sponsoring guys that actually want to ride for it. Yeah, totally, yeah. So is there, is, is there actually a, uh, like how many people on the team or is it? Eric Dresden's on the Eric team. Eric Dresden's on the team. Well, there you go. Fucking Eric Dresden. Eric Dresden's on the team. <laughs> Kevin Backle's on the team. Wow, sick. Uh, who else is on the team? Um, Blinky, uh, who lives in Leeds. Uh, who else is on the team? Dead Dave's on the team. Jamie Args on the team. Fuck, Rick Fields, Adam Moss. Fuck, who else is on the fucking team? There's like so many, like, just random other. Max Rotten from Kent, like, he's on the team. Loads of, loads of people that, like, if I could have put them on Witchcraft, but they have board sponsors. It's kind of cool. Like, Kevin Kowalski's on the team. Wow, sick. This guy, Nick, from Melbourne, he's on the team. Like, yeah, just, like, loads of just people. And it's, like, it's not really like a team because anyone can kind of be on it. Like, Alan Glass is technically on the team because I sent him some <laughs> stickers. I, like, I, he'd be on the curb patrol. I expect you I expect you, you would demand a full video part from him by the end of the year. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's got to happen. Yeah, it'll be filmed outside his house. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean I was just like because that's the thing as well it's that, that sort of weird thing isn't it like when you start a skateboard company it's maybe not so much now but that's what I I think that's what I've really fallen back in love with like the way Foz is doing heroin again now I just think it's really nice yeah that there's a company like that that can have like Dead Dave and like questions of people where you can laugh at it. You can say it's shit. Like, I don't, really, I don't really have an opinion on other people's skateboarding. Like, I really don't. Like, I'm not interested in having an opinion. I can literally, if it's like, I don't know, like inward heel flip, tail side, I don't know, switch 360 flip out, 
I think that is as rad as like a bonus to nose pick on a curve because either way, some people find that shit easy, some people don't. It's still really hard. And like, yeah, I think it's really rad that Foz is doing it. Like, and I think it's really nice as well that in skateboarding now that you can have anything can be can be like a worthy skateboard thing. And I think that's really cool. That's what makes it more of like like a thing that, that I want to be involved. That's the thing that I think you fall in love with when you're a kid, right? Because you don't want it to be like a sport. Yeah, completely, yeah. It's almost like there's so many subgenres inside skateboarding now. I think that that's it the is way like... it's going now. It's it's kind of crazy. It's kind of coming back to the. I suppose when uh, when we started, it was what when I started, and maybe I can't. I don't know when you started, but I started like eighty seven. Uh, no, eighty five. Sorry. So and there actually was split disciplines. Then there was street, and there was freestyle, and there was vert. Yeah, they're all quite actually labelled, <laughs> you know. But it kind of seems. I to feel be... like now it's it's like it is kind of like that again, isn't it? Well, it's, it's like, like little. But options, now it's almost yeah. like people. Do you think like now people actually have careers in it as well, where it's like I'm an Instagram skateboarder. Yeah. Where I, you could almost so. be pro and never bring out a section, but you could have a pro board and you'd have more followers than other people. Like day one is like literally an Instagram skater now, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's like he's not, I, I don't know, the last time he had a, a video part out, but I mean, not like he couldn't do it. I mean, he totally could do it. But yeah, and it's funny he how... He could probably film it in an afternoon. Yeah, probably could, yeah. But um, I suppose it's weird how that stuff goes, isn't it? And it's like, uh, I suppose people from our generation, it is quite weird how the kind of... Because I think this happens all the time with, uh, for want of a better word, internet culture. All these little things kind of like spread out and kind of in like little tendrils from a root kind of thing i like to think of it as being a bit like you know how metal has gone down that way now and i think the internet has helped that as well like especially like the way i've got into like you had like thrash metal death metal speed metal grindcore do you know what i mean like that kind of thing and then now you've got like all these people into like the new new wave of british heavy metal and then like classic metal and it's like operatic and you've got all these different versions of subgenres within subgenres it's almost like you've got like wacky cunts that just skate curves you've got like wacky cunts that just skate vert ramps and you've just got like like the street league guys that are just like literally jocks but it's all the same it is all skateboarding but it's so far-fetched from one to the other but you know that one dude in one discipline couldn't do what one guy in the other discipline can do yeah completely yeah like you think like you th- like I watched that that guy, um, that Ace Pelka guy, what's his name on Instagram, like Slappy Reds or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Some of the slappy shit that guy does is mental. Yeah. And like I know that you get I guarantee some people just are like, yeah, whatever, it's just like a really long board slide. You're like, you fucking do that board slide, mate. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like it's it's not like it's not like a twenty stair handrail, but you know that it's probably as hard to learn because you have to work out how to do it. It's like a totally different thing. Well, it's like anything to do with, I mean, you know, anything in skateboarding takes time. I mean, so it takes some people less time, but, you know, to learn stuff or to do something, do a trick. It's like, but it takes effort. It takes commitment to do anything, really. Did you ever get into skating vert? No, I could like drop in and I could do rock fakies, but that's it. I mean, because you know, when you did rock fakies, did you think that was the most different thing to do it on mini ramp that could ever happen? Like, how different that is when you do it? Like, because I, I, I had like a winter when I would go with Gorm and go and skate Caterham. Yeah. And I learned rock and I did rock and rolls. And I just remember the first one, I was like, that was so weird. It's so different to do a rock and roll on a vert ramp than it is to do a rock and roll on a mini ramp. I was like, it's a totally different thing. 
doing rock fakies and there's like a there's a split second where you feel like you're kind of weightlessness you're like a weightlessness you kind of go up and it's like oh, there's like that stop and then it goes back down again and it's like because on a mini ramp you're you're kind of hitting into the coping the whole time because the, yeah. the ramp just pushes you into it but with a vert ramp it kind of it's pushing you back the whole time yeah because that's the only time that I've ever thought oh this must be how different it is like if you do a board slide on a curb to if you do a board slide on a handrail because I can't I can't imagine what it must be like if you do like a fucking giant, you know those huge things that you see people do? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I know how to do a 50-50 on a curb, but I definitely couldn't do it like that. Yeah. It's, it's the same, like, you know, like when you when you bump out of like a mini ramp or do like a little front side on a mini ramp, you're like, can't imagine what this must be like to do it after the mega ramp on that fucking... Oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, there's like the proper extremes of it, I think. I mean, I think there's like... I think you can think of it as like disciplines in a way. It's like the, it is. It is. I mean, you know, I'd skated a little bit of handrail stuff, and the biggest ones I did, I suppose, were nothing compared to what people do these days. But yeah, but when but when you were doing handrails, that was still pretty. I feel like I feel like we watched your section. I stayed at someone's house. We watched your section a while ago, and I was like, "Fuck." At the time, that people weren't really skating handrails. It wasn't really a thing again yet. It wasn't really like people were getting really big. Like, yeah, I like think, not up to the way it is now. It no, was like totally. pretty serious. I, I think there were a few people. That, like, I mean, I think over here maybe less, but I mean, but I think you know people like Arto and Jeff and people like that. They were they they were pushing it all the whole time. And it's like, and it's I watched like some of their footage a bit ago, and I was like, shit, this is like ninety nine two thousand, and they're doing shit which is like so insane. And like it's, it was that exhibition center that today. Rowley did, yeah, no, that 50 50 exhibition center. Like when I went there and looked at that, I just remember looking at it and just being like, I just looked at it and was like, it's impossible. But it's the same, like, like being friends with living in Nuremberg and being friends with Chris Fanner. Like, I'd never seen anyone ollie something as big as the two things I've seen him ollie here, and I've gone. Like, I've spoken to him, and he's been like, oh, you know, could you come and try and stop traffic or at least catch me if I'm going to go in the street with her? And there's this double set near this tube station here. And when we went there the first time to look at it, I was just like, so what are you going to do? Trick down the first one and a trick down the second one? He was like, no, I'm going to ollie the whole thing. And I was just like, what? How? <laughs> I really was like, how? What? Yeah. Because you can't even see the bottom of the second set. It's so big. And then when he ollied it, and he ollied it first try, I was just like, that is yeah, no, it's mental, isn't it? He's uh, he's one of those people like, uh, like I think uh, I don't know how to say, to say this without a bit sounding a bit weird. It's like I, I still don't think people know how good he is, and I've I've not really I've seen him skate no. a little bit, and it's like, and not that he hasn't got the respect he deserves because he's got lo- you know he's got loads of respect, and he's like you know you don't get pro and anti hero from just you know turning up. Yeah, totally. Um, but I, th- I still feel like he's somebody who's like so good, and like I, I think th- I still as well, feel some people of that, don't know it. You know, it's gnarly. I think some of that stuff as well is that you have to, you have to see. It's a bit like you know, like when you would see videos and then you would go to the spot and you'd be like, "Oh wow, that's way gnarly!" And now I've seen the spot. Yeah, no, completely. I think it's it's another one of those things where with some of the stuff that Chris gets, you have to be like, "Oh no!" If t- and then you go to the spot and you're like. Oh no, that that hamrail isn't actually like one in a skate park. That hamrail is like shoulder height. Yeah. And there's all this shit running up to it, and then the runout's horrible, and it's actually like you have to ollie out like two meters before you land on the rail, and yeah. Yeah, just some super, like that, super that's human when you, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, 
like when you're just like that's that's really fucked yeah when you're like already just the commitment to even try it is gnarlier than anything else you're just like that's how do you even make yourself do it yeah i suppose so and it's like jeff rowley came to sheffield once with boo lala it's like a random tangent they they came over to where they were filming for sorry and and like jeff wasn't really skating he was just tooling about a bit and uh, we went down a house skate park and this is like a skate park i'd skated hours and hours and hours and you know just skated all the time and like the, the house is a really good park when they first opened like some of the stuff there was yeah, a yeah. bit fucking wonky like some of the trannies were a bit off and some of like like there's a, there was a fun box there which is the big fun box um and it was a little bit tight. So when you wallied it, you kind of went up and then down again. And <laughs> and he got up and he skated up and down a few times. Then he skated up and down and was just watching. And then he just dropped in and he pushed a few times and he shoved it, heel flipped it first go. And not like, he like, bow. And it was literally, he caught it like five foot high and came down. It was just like, it's just, you know, one of those things where you just see someone and they're just like, holy shit they can just turn up the fucking volume and it's like just did it yeah like when they can switch it on yeah when you see people do that thing you know when you when you used to go to radlands for like the comps and then you'd see people they'd be cruising in the in the practice runs and then they would just switch it on you'd be like oh okay you didn't do that in the practice yeah yeah completely yeah (laughs) i remember the one i seen was at at northampton was chris sen because i was a bit like oh chris sen i don't know i've seen his video parts they're not that good and stuff but when you see someone skating real life like that like his just was like that the attack. year that he did like the ollie? Was that the year that he did like the ollie out to like was it like wall ride or grab off yeah, the back of like, the, the vert ramp and like, back in like an indie back in yeah? And it's like you see that shit in real life. You're like he just came and just fucked that street course up. It's yeah, I remember that year because I that was the first year as well. I remember I think I must have been at art college because I remember I'd never seen a sequencer yeah. on a camera before. Right. And I remember people shooting like photos and he went, and then just rip when he didn't make it, like just ripping out a roll of film and yeah. putting another one in. I just yeah. remember looking at him and being like, that's like 50 quid's worth of film there. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it really was like 50, 50 quid was a lot of money then as well. Yeah. I just remember being like, what? Like, I, because I, I never considered that when you shot a sequence, people didn't make it and it would be like you'd lose the photos. I never thought about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I think that's another thing about the difference between, like, I suppose when we started, it was very analog stuff, and then to move to digital stuff. I think that's the only way that the skateboarding can be as um, diverse as it is now, because it's not like you know, because the kind of one of the better word democratization of like everyone's got a camera now, and it's like you can just if you want to yeah, film totally. stuff for eighteen, you know, eighteen days in a row, you can go and do it. It's not a big deal. Well, I. I, I listen to uh, sometimes when I'm when I'm working, I listen. I just listen to like the Nine Club and like sometimes I don't even know who the people are that like, they're on and then I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm not really sure who this guy is. Like I know the name, but I listened. I went back and listened to the Sal Barbier one. Yeah, and one of the really interesting things that I thought was was really cool, which I really appreciate, was he said like one of the things he really dis. I don't I can't remember if he said he disliked it or if it just wasn't for him was like he went from being like that thing of a bit like, you know when they would say like Tom Knox filmed his whole section in like a day yeah, yeah, for yeah. like whatever, like Speed Freaks. Whatever. Yeah. And Sal Bobby was like, yeah, so he would learn all his tricks, do them on the spot, and then when it came to like the day for filming, they'd just go to the spot, he'd do all his tricks. Yeah. And you would just do all your tricks. And then like the idea now that it is like, 
those kids, like you can film it on your phone or whatever, but they didn't just go there and do it and they may only have done it once. And you're like, yeah, it was a really sick trick, but it took like six days and you only landed it once. You're a bit like, it's, I, don't, I don't, like, I, I still think it's sick, but at the same time you're like, it's a bit like, you know, when I, when I do like a job for someone and they're like, oh, can you just redraw that? And I'm like, well, yeah, I should be able to because that's technically what I should do. I should be able to redraw something again, but sometimes it's quite hard. You don't, you can't nail it first time again. And skating's a bit like that. But when you're like, yeah, I drew that, I can never draw that again. It's a bit the same with that skating. You're like, I can't, like, I couldn't really imagine that idea where he was just like, yeah, then we started going to spots where they'd be like, here's this fucking spot. You need to think of something to do on it and try and do it instead of being like, here's the spot that I've been skating for like three months and I can do all my tricks on it. Do you want to just film them all? Yeah. It's like quite a difference, isn't it? It is, yeah. I have that with my music stuff sometimes as well. Some people just come back and say, oh, can you just, just change this from that? And you're kind of like, well, you can do, but, you know, it's all going to be like all the beats are going to be off after that and then it's all going to knock everything. You know, yeah, it's not going to work. It's, it doesn't... it's just not going to work. <laughs> do you get the same thing with music where people ask you to make changes or do something and you're like, yeah, there's not just the button on the computer that does that. Like, that's actually, like... It depends. It's a bit like... So, sometimes there is a button that can do that. <laughs> um, but sometimes <laughs> there isn't. Like, so soap in the bath sometimes. It's just, you know, like, really hard to, to nail down. Yeah, because I, I still get lots of that where you're like, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. Like, I've drawn it, and then if you want to make that change, it means that the whole thing doesn't work because if you want to move that to there, then this has to move and then this has to move, which is actually the whole thing. Yeah. I think the tough one with music for me, the difference with like with, um, I suppose, because everything you, you, you'd actually seeing an image with your stuff. Like people have given me feedback like, yeah, could it be a bit more glitchy? And it's like, well, what, what do you mean by glitchy? Or, what, you know, what, <laughs> what everyone's Me because you actually had the same conversation the other day. So I had this feedback once from a, a guy at Avatar Agency who was meant to be an art director and he said to me on the phone, hmm, I really like it, but could it, could it be a bit more, you know? <laughs> and that's, that's the feedback I fucking got. <laughs> it needs to be a bit more, you know? And then he was like, yeah, yeah, just a bit more, yeah. And I was like, fucking, I was like, are you looking? And I was like, on the phone, I was like, are you looking at something? Because I can't see it. I'm not in the same room as you. Like, what? Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, I was like really confused by that. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like, Chrissy got feedback on something the other day. We did, we did a job together. She got feedback on something. And they were like, oh, maybe you can make it with a bit of a twist. And we were both like, don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like, it, I always feel like the, the further people get back from the creative process, the more kind of obtuse their criticisms or suggestions are about something. I think, I think as well, sometimes you just like, if it's in your head, you need to you need to put it out there. You need to be able to like verbalize that because saying can you do it with a bit of a twist, like she like someone might say to me, Can you can you add a bit of a twist? Like their idea of a twist is maybe I made the edge a bit jagged. My idea of a twist is like, I don't know, I add blades to it and a severed head. I'm like, yeah, well, there's there's two exactly, different yeah. words of a twist, isn't it? Yeah. Or I just draw a dick on it. You know I mean? I'm like, that's a twist. <laughs> but you were you were you weren't expecting that, were you? Or I just do flowers all over it. There you go, yeah. you weren't expecting that. But yeah, it's it's a hard one. Like that sort of thing with feedback is is quite hard as well because I think it takes a little while as well to. It must be the same for you with music. It's like it takes a little while to not be annoyed about it, to just take it on the chin and be like, or just to be like, 
You know what? Maybe their idea is actually quite good. And I guess it's better as now with technology that you can do stuff and then save it and be like, I'm going to change it and then have two versions and be like, I can go back to the old version if I want to. Yeah. Yes. But it is, it is, that is quite hard to be like, yeah, I really liked it this way, but if you want it that way, then maybe we can change it because you still don't really want to because you like it the way you did it yeah. originally. And it's like, I think the more, well, I've kind of figured out, it's like the more you do your own work, the more, even though someone asks you to do something in a certain way, you can only do it in your own way, really. And it's like, yeah, you have to learn how to be yourself in a way. Not learn how to be yourself, but you have to accept that you do it the way you do it and work with that rather than yeah. like either trying to be something else or trying to make someone else happy by making it something else, if you know what I mean. The worst is references that is nothing like the way you would work. And yeah, you were like, like even yeah. if I tried to make it look like that, it wouldn't look like that because it would look like the way I would make it look yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, completely. So it's going to look like me making a shit version of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I, I can make it look like that, but it will look shit. So, yeah, we can do <laughs> What's that. The point? So how's your wrist now? Is that I was, I was having a flick through your Instagram with everyone just to kind of have a refresh. How's that feeling? Yeah, it's good. I've still got these... I still got these two metal plates in this one. Did you? Or did you? You snapped it like completely off. Did you? Or you snapped both? It's both like, I don't bones. know if you can see. Yeah, I don't know if you can bit. see the scar in that light. Yeah. I've got a scar that runs from here to here. Right. Yeah, it goes yeah to there. So it's there. Yeah, it's that. It goes into my hand. Yeah, I broke. I literally broke my hand off. It's like at the end of the bone. So the two bones that the the radius and the ulna completely snapped and. Uh, the ulna came through the skin by a couple of centimetres and I took the end off that with the floor, like that came out and went off and my hand was like down here somewhere and I ended up having, I've had four surgeries on it. Have you? Shit, I, th to I get it. thought it was a couple, I didn't know it was four, damn, that's gnarly. No, so I had four surgeries and now I've got two metal plates on the, on the ulna with six screws that are either side of it and... The German doctor I had said that I should get that out after six months. But when I had further surgery in Australia, the Australian surgeon was like, you should just try and leave everything in as long as you can. They had a, I more trusted the Australian way of thinking because they were just like, we're going to do the best thing for you that's going to fix it and make you the most comfortable rather than being like, I don't know, maybe it's just the system as well because I wasn't paying in Australia. They're like, it's the same as the NHS. So in Germany, you have to pay so your insurance. Is it private? So they're though, quite. Okay. It's, it's a bit of both. Right, it's a mix. Uh, right, okay. It's it's a fucking weird system, but the way it works is in Germany, uh, hospitals work on money. It's not like in the UK. It's like a, it's what America thinks it is. Right. Okay. So, yeah, we have we have private because we're not from here, and then Chrissy, because uh, of her job, we have to have private, but. Yeah, because it broke again when I was in Australia, like when it had been fixed. Oh, shit, did it? Damn. Did you fall on it again? or? Yeah, so it broke again really easily, and then I went to the hospital, which in Germany they're super, super serious, and no one treats you with any... Well, no one treated me with any sort of care or sympathy when I broke it, or when it didn't fix, because it, it broke. I had surgery on it, and then it didn't work, and I had to go back to the hospital, and they had to give me surgery again, literally the same surgery again. And then I just didn't get it. It was just really weird. Everyone just treats you like you're like a piece of shit pretty much in the two hospitals I went to. So I'm not saying all hospitals do, but the two I went to both treated me pretty badly and you just feel like a number that they're just trying to get out and they just want your money. They're more concerned about invoicing you and finding out what insurance you have than they are actually asking you if you're in pain. 
And then when I when I, when it broke again in Australia, I went to the doctor, and the man, the fucking doctor, he was a genius. He just gives me this X-ray. And he comes back, and the metal plates all bent and everything. And he just goes, "Oh, mate, you got a fucking bad case of the bendy arm." <laughs> <laughs> So you, I ended up, I ended up Bendo from now on. Yeah, fucking Bendy, hey, hey, cunt. And yeah, and then they were just like, "Oh yeah, you need to have this other surgery. We're gonna sort you out." And then I had, I had another meeting with the the surgeon, and he was super nice, like really, 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 really helpful. Just like, yeah, what you've had done wasn't enough. You need to have a fucking bone graft. We're gonna take this piece out of your hip. We're gonna sort you out. And he was like. We're just going to put this metal plate that goes way further down your arms. There's no chance of you bending it. We're going to put you in a cast for like nine weeks. So you don't even, you don't even come out and have stitches, have them out and go in a cast. You're just going to go straight in a cast with soluble stitches. And yeah, and then he was just like, we're, going to, we're just going to sort you out. It's just the way it's going to be. Actually, one of the funniest things was I had this. So when I came, when I came around from the surgery, this is how different it is. Like, so I had a male nurse and a female nurse. And I see, you know, when you sort of wake up and you're like, oh, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And the, the male nurse is like, uh, Richard, Richard, the surgery's gone well. And then the female nurse, uh, Lena, and she goes, yeah, your penis reduction's worked fucking great, eh? <laughs> and as soon as I started laughing, she was like, oh, we didn't remove your fucking sense of humour either. And I was just like, oh, what a legend. Crazy. But yeah, and then, yeah, and then afterwards, obviously, I had to come back to Germany. And the, the surgeon was like, because, like, here you have to make an appointment for everything. No one will talk to you. No one will let you email them. It's all like, no, we can't give you that. We, we can't talk to you over the internet because of, I don't know, like, fucking rights to do with, like, paperwork and all the rest of it. And the Australian do- surgeon was like, just email me whatever x-rays you get and I'll tell you how your arm's doing. Right. That's so amazing. I was going to my private healthcare, getting CT scans and then emailing them to my sur- to the surgeon who's like NHS or whatever in Australia, and he would just email me back the next day and be like, yeah, give it another like three months and then you can start doing physio, so i do that and then just go to the doctor here and be like, this is the physio I need, they give it to me and then get another x-ray, go back to the doctor in Australia and they would sort it out. So in the end, I was sort of doing it remotely with the surgeon in Sydney and he was like super fucking good. So now, and then last time he... He told me which physio to get, and I had like a really good hand specialist. So it's just it's just at the moment because the metals in it, it gets really tight on this side. Yeah, right. I can imagine. So sometimes, some sometimes, and because my bone grew, I don't know, you, you can't really see it, but so the end bit of the bone, because it wasn't connected, this bone grew too long. Right. Okay. So my ulna is too long for my radius. Right. Okay. So, so my hand is actually stuck at a funny position. So that could be another reason why it doesn't bend properly. But, it I mean, it doesn't hurt anything now at the moment. It It's just, I've got like a shit ton of metal. It's actually funny. They do give you a piece of paper that you're meant to carry in your passport in case it goes off when you go through a metal detector. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's all right. I think it's fine. Now, I skate, I've just stopped using this crazy, I had like this fiberglass wrist guard thing that went up to my elbow that I got from Poland. Like I went and got that on my private healthcare. I went to a hospital in Poland and got this special made brace. And I've just gone down to a, a one eight seven wrist guard. Like I was just like, I mean, I've been skating for like eight nine months since I, since I've been out of skate again. So I'm kind of like, I think it's a mental thing now more than anything else. Yeah, completely. I think that's the thing. Uh, obviously, it, no one wants to have a, 
uh, or any part of the body which is weak but if it's something that you do you know that you do the other thing that you really enjoy is artwork and that's like the thing you do that with then that's uh you know uh, yeah, I mean, don't it's weird. Away, but you know, I can I can imagine you'd still want to get back skiing. It's you know? weird to say I got lucky, but because I broke my arm and not my wrist, because I broke it below my wrist. Right. Because my wrist actually broke off with it, like it broke completely below my wrist, so it was completely sheared off. So if it had been your wrist, it would have been much worse in a way. Yeah, yeah. And they they were like telling me like, yeah, it's uh, my hand has been fine. Like I've been out of draw and everything. the whole time, the only time I couldn't draw was when I got put in a. Because the Germans didn't put me in a cast at all. I didn't go in any cast whatsoever, which is what fucked it pretty much, is what the, the Australians told me. But the Australian doctor put me in a cast, and then the problem with that was I thought I'll be able to draw because it's just solid, so I can use my fingers. And you don't realise how much you bend your hand. Yeah, 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 completely. That's, because that's actually why I ended up using an airbrush so much, was because I could paint by putting the airbrush in my fingers, Right. use my fingers to do the triggers, and then hold my elbow and lift it up and down and draw with the airbrush. So it was actually like it was actually kind of cool that it actually made me do something else. It made me just do made you adapt to a, a completely stuff, different yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, totally. It just made me do something else. It was like, oh well, I can't draw, so I'll have to use something because it's like a, it's like a straight brush, a straight spray. So you just end up having to do that. Well, it's good you're back skating again. That's incredible. I suppose we kind of should be thinking about wrapping up. We've been going two hours. That's amazing. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I didn't realise. Sp- last thing Easy. I suppose, I, I don't know, I've got into German beer lately and you've been talking about German beer stuff and I, was, I thought I'd pick your brains about that because it sounds like... Some See, I don't, I don't know about German angles. beer. I only know about Frank... Yeah, I mean, I only know about <laughs> well, Franconian beer. I, I suppose the stuff I've, I've always said, I thought, you know, like just seeing it as all Bavarian, I suppose, but then, you know, it's like typical like anything, any country is like, it, it comes down to like the street you're on rather than like, you know... I mean, I feel like it's, it's almost like a Yorkshire thing. Exactly, you know how like yeah, was, some people yeah. in Yorkshire are like, Sheffield's not Yorkshire. Yeah, like people in Leeds like Sheffield's not Yorkshire I remember one of the the house comps we did it was me Bainesy Seth and uh, I can't remember who else was on it it was like team competition and on that I saw saw on one of the judges list they just put South in brackets (laughs) (laughs) because to me it would be like when I went to university and I was like oh everyone's northern they're like Someone would be like, I'm not northern, I'm from Birmingham. I was like, it's fucking really far north. I was like, it's above Northampton. <laughs> yeah, so. I was like, in my mind, I was like, anything above Northampton was the north. I was yeah, like, completely, yeah. Beer is like such a weird thing, especially with the local guys. Like, my friend Matthias and the other guys from Erlangen that have the skate shop, it's like, they will literally... Actually, I saw it tonight, so there's a... But they were, like, the guys here will only drink shit that's from Franconia, and they only drink Zeitler, which is like, a Zeitler is a Franconian word... Which is the which is like that? It's like the 0.5 litre glass bottle. So that's like a Zyla. See, they call it like that, and they they're not going to drink anything else. But like the North Germans, they don't really drink that, right? So it's like a really Franconian thing. And like people here, it is really like people buy it in like a case, like in a caston of like twenty. They drink it. People get really into which brands they'll drink, and they won't drink other brands. Like, and it's super like. Oh, I only drink this one because it's like from here. And then some people like, I'm only drinking pills, but most people only drink Hellas. But then you get like Keller beer and Land beer and like all the different breweries do them. But like every brewery that is in like every small village has been going for like three or 400 years and they all do all these different beers. That's the gnarly thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And some of them as well, you're like, they're these tiny villages and you know, the brewery is probably the only thing there. Right. Yeah. But they... And I'm just, I can't work out if any of them make any money. Like, because when you go to like the supermarket, the beer is in a separate supermarket in the Getrankmark. 
Yeah. Which is like the beer supermarket. Like the one by my house is, is in the basement. But they have like, fuck, I reckon they've probably got 70 different types of Hellers, like 70 different breweries that they do with there. And then they've got Pilsners. And then they've got, then they've got like, nor, like what we would call like normal beers, like Heineken's and things like that, which they hardly have anything of. Yeah. And then they have like some imported beers like Corona. You don't see any American beer at all, like none. Oh, yeah. Can see why. And then they have all the so- the crazy soft drinks, like all the mixies and the mezzo mix and the sort of the weird orange and coke mix and. But yeah, like with the with the beers here, it's just like it's funny when you find out what people will and won't drink, and like I'm not drinking that, and you're like, I I just don't get it, because <laughs> the way I was buying it originally was whichever one had the most traditional looking beer label, I was like I'm into that. Yeah. I bought it on the I literally judged the book by its cover and was like, I was like oh, if it's four point nine percent and the label's pretty good. Like, it's probably all right. Yeah, no, completely. Like, if it looks like it's old, if it looks 300 years old, they probably know how to make beer. Yeah. Well, it's weird because it's like, I, I first, I, I, I just bought different beers and stuff, and I always had real bad hangovers. I don't know, anybody that said the unfortunate thing of being be with me after a night out, I can I can have a fucking hangover, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and I started drinking that Polana stuff, uh, which is, you know, Munich or whatever, but that's like... Like you said, that's Coca Cola and <laughs> yeah, they own it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but I just didn't get hangovers with it. I was like, this is fucking weird. And like, it's the purity law. It is it's the crazy. purity law. Yeah. And it's like, ask some other other ones of this. And it's like you go into like the the kind of craft beer shops here, and it's like there's so much bloody you know pale ale, this and that, and other stuff and it's like that stuff's the worst for me like i can't hack i don't it. I can't hack it i've never got into any of like the pale ales or the ipas or anything else like that because the what's quite good for me living here is just that i know that hellas is like just lager and like in england the problem the, the problem i always found in england was i could never get a consistent thing that i liked yeah and then if you did they would change it in some way and you'd be like i don't get it so, like, here, knowing that you know that it's only going to have, like, three ingredients because that's the law, so you're like, well, it can't be that bad. Well, because that's the thing as well. I was looking into it a little bit, but it's like, I think with a lot of other, like, you know, like the regular logs, like Heineken and all that stuff, there is stuff in there and they just don't put it on the on the tin, you know? Like, there are things in there that... that there's preservatives yeah, and things, isn't there's there? shit like that, which, like, like, which I'm just fucking... It's just not... I'm just not cut out for at all. Well, you know, the rule here as well, or at least in, in Bavaria, is that beer is not allowed to be more expensive than water. Is it? Really? Wow, OK. Yeah, so if you buy, like, how many litres of water, beer has to be the same price. Because a beer is a right. It's not... It's like... It's a right to be able to afford beer here. <laughs> That's amazing. So are, they, so are they pretty cheap when you buy them, all those different beers you buy? Yeah, like if you go to the proper Gitrack Mart, they're like, you buy, so you pay the fund on the bottle, which is like the refund on it, which is like eight cents a bottle. Yeah. Some of them 15, I think. But they work out to be like, some are like only a euro 15 or something for like, a, it's pretty much a pint of beer. And then, but then when you go to, but when you go to like a bar, it's still only like three fifty, three eighty. But with these as well, it's like, like that one was like three fifty, I think. Yeah, so that wouldn't people would have a meltdown if they paid that in a bar here. <laughs> yeah, right. Imagine. Like people literally do have a, like people will get fucking crazy about the cost of beer. Well, I think that's pretty fucking good, really. Um, yeah, thanks Sick. for doing this. It's amazing. See what you can make out of that. <laughs> oh, there's loads there. It's amazing. It's really good. 
thanks to French for talking to me. I really enjoyed that. If you want to find out more about French's work, you can go to at feudalfrench.com or at feudalfrench on Instagram. Also at Dungeon Gateway on Instagram. And his web shop is french.bigcartel.com. We are also on Instagram at the Skate Creative Podcast. Follow us there for all updates and future guests. And subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. Search for the Skate Creative Podcast. Thanks for listening.